0: The thing about it, especially for active uh, real estate investors, you know, passive real estate investors definitely need liquidity for just life, right? Uh, What happens when your daughter needs braces, your son wants a car, your, you know, college, whatever. Like there's various stages in life. And that's part of what I talk through on a daily basis with my clients.
1: What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. This is the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and invest in real estate without buying yourself another job. Today, our guest is Christopher Mills from The Haney Company. Today, we're talking about a few things. We're talking about early retirement, which Chris did, and then coming back to work, which he also did because a little secret, a lot of people think they wanna retire early, you know, really young, and go sit on a beach the rest of their lives. I'll tell you, I've talked to a lot of people who have done that, and they pretty much all come back to work in some way or another they may follow their passion they may do something else when they come back but it turns out that going and sitting on the beach for beach for the rest of your life whether you're starting in your 30s 40s 50s or or later most people don't actually like doing that most people would rather do some amount of work that they enjoy or fulfills them and chris did that he retired early and then he came back to work doing uh, financial advice work. And that's what we're a few things that we're talking about today. Today, we talk about a couple of interesting tax strategies that you may not know about the 1031 and the DST. Don't worry, we're going to talk about what those can do for you as a real estate investor. We talk about financial advisors for real estate investing, a few questions to ask if you're thinking about uh, engaging the services of a financial advisor as a real estate investor. There's a, there's a few questions to ask, and and the reason this is important is because they're not not all financial advisors are created the same, and especially for real estate investors, and many of them don't have real estate investing experience. And I, I think if you want to have real estate as a major part of your portfolio, probably be talking or working if you're going to use a financial advisor, working with ones that know about real estate investing and the unique problems that real estate investors can face in their financial planning. And then we talk about a specific aspect of financial planning for real estate investors that Chris has identified that is a a big problem for us in the real estate investing community if we don't know how to plan and understand what the, the problems in the future could be that, that we might face. So all great topics. And I love learning from folks that have been there and done it on all of these topics. And Chris, believe me, has been there and done it. If you're listening to the show, I sounded, maybe I sound a little more low energy. I, I apologize. I'm getting over probably a 36 hour head cold here. Don't worry. It's not COVID. I'm on the mend. I'm doing great, but, um, might not have the same energy I usually do. I hope you'll bear with me. I think you'll still get quite a bit out of this interview with Christopher Mills. If you do enjoy the show and you're an Apple Podcast user, I ask that you take a quick second, go to the Apple Podcast app, leave us a rating or interview. That's so much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem so that we get more eyeballs and earballs on the show. And I won't lie, that helps me feel good. I get I get to see and read all the comments and, and reviews that you guys leave, and it makes me feel good. I look them up, and uh, you know, it helps me understand that folks are out there engaging with the content, learning from our guests, and growing alongside us. If you do enjoy the show, and you're listening on a podcast app, take a quick second, go to the app, go to your favorite podcasting app, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show hit the subscribe button. And you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Like I said, this is the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and get into passive real estate investing strategies. That's what we're all about here. and uh, Today is no exception. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return Love talking about all of these things we're discussing today, and I think you will enjoy it too. Without any further ado, here we go with Christopher Mills. Chris, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely, Taylor. Great to be here. Hey, it's great to talk with you. You have a really awesome background and a great accomplishment that I'm, we're going to talk about here a bit and a few other things. Uh, but for our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you
0: tell us about? What you do and kind of your path that's led you to where you are today? Sure. So I'm a financial advisor, and my background is primarily in real estate. So I, you know, love real estate. My family is quasi entrepreneurial. I've started a couple companies. uh, So I've always kind of had that drive. And I uh, got into it because I saw how financial the industry was kind of servicing and not servicing real estate professionals and i don't know it's always been a passion of mine and financial freedom and helping people and serving people so uh this is kind of just how i serve people now and and you know do it professionally so yeah my background includes property management i had a property management company that kind of morphed into an asset management company and that came from me building my own portfolio and just kind of needing a, a property management company. So uh again, it, it kind of hobby turned into passion and just blossomed. And uh today I, I love what I do. I live about an hour outside Washington, DC, uh, wife and three kids and, you know, vegetables and chickens and that whole thing too. So that's
1: me. awesome. Awesome. And one of the things that you know, as we were talking before we hit record, one of the things that really struck me is that you retired early and and then went back to work. And can you tell us about you know what brought you to the point where you could retire early? Because I think a lot of our listeners, if they haven't retired early, that might be you know something they want to do or something that's in their plan. So how did you make that happen?
0: Sure. So I started investing uh, about three or four years uh, before I got married, investing in real estate, I should clarify. And one of my goals, just from a guy who gave me the book, Rich Dad Poor Dad in the gym one day, was to get out of the rat race. So uh, my wife came alongside me and we really just started, you know, leapfrogging properties uh, shortly before I guess I was doing it. And then she kind of joined along with me, but we'd live in a place owner occupied for about a year, change, you know, move out, leapfrog that and just renting out. So we built out a single family portfolio that way. And I eventually got into, you know, mixed use and multifamily and, you know, the normal progression, but yeah, that was kind of it. And we just kind of fell in love with the passive income. And my goal, my first goal was to replace her income. She was a a DC public school teacher. And then, um, the, obviously, you know, step two is to replace my income. And then once we did that, we, yeah, we just kind of moved out to the country and, you know, an hour outside, not too far out, but, uh, yeah, we moved and, and that was that, like, that was kind of our, our dream and and we accomplished it by being relatively aggressive, but yeah, we did it.
1: That's awesome. And, and, and congratulations to you on that. One of the things that fascinates me about the, actually, you know, people who have retired early and, and have been, a few years you know through that and maybe the some of the luster has has kind of worn off is so many people don't stay retired they hit that point where <laughs> they don't need to trade uh, hours for dollars anymore but they you know eventually they they want to get back in the game somehow what brought you back in and and why i mean it sounds great you know hanging out with your vegetables and chickens and family uh but eventually you uh you rejoined the the business
0: workforce in a way yeah yeah so that uh asset management that i was doing that kind of scaled down to you know friends family you know close folks and there was an issue i was wrestling with in a a north carolina portfolio and i met up with a friend Uh, My buddy Brian, we had an early morning breakfast in the city one morning, and I was telling him about this thing. We're just kind of bouncing ideas off each other, and he introduced me to DSTs. So I said, "What's a DST?" And afterwards, I, you know, was calling mentors like, "Hey, you've been doing this for forty years. Do you know what DST is?" And like, "No, I don't know." So that opportunity that i saw that as an opportunity right like if these guys don't know about dsts and i think they're great like and they agree that they're great like this there's something to it so uh these guys came into town and uh you know we had lunch and we're talking and i told them my story and they said you know what how long have you known brian you know like at the end of the conversation they're like you know what you you're say you're retired and you're slowing down but you know more about real estate and a lot of these products than 99.9% of the advisors we talked to, like you need to join up and be as real estate specialist and you'd be a real, real asset to the industry. So we kicked around for a while and I got my licenses and yeah, that's the rest is history as they say. So, um, it feels really, really good to help people. I've been in that position, obviously throwing a bunch of Capital at real estate, just you know, trying to see what sticks, kind of thing, and just hoping at the end of it you can retire or at least slow down or whatever. Hope it all turns out well. But having some kind of a plan, having the balance of not being real estate rich and cash poor, you know, having some kind of strategy for that liquidity. What does it look like in any given market? That's that's not necessarily a very straightforward picture all the time. So uh, I enjoy doing what I do, helping people with their alter- alternatives and, and with their plan. Nice. So I want to make
1: sure we've, you know, including the listeners, including me too, because I don't I don't know much about DST. So can you give us like a, a quick intro? What does DST even mean and
0: what can they do for investors? Sure. So DST stands for Delaware Statutory Trust. That's the product that I was introduced uh to back then. And uh, it's a security that can serve as replacement property in a 1031 exchange. So instead of needing to, you know, the same 1031 rules apply for the 45 days and 180 days and everything like that, but you can identify securities essentially that are holding real estate instead of going to actual real estate. So it's, it's a really great way for active real estate investors who have been doing it for a little while to kind of scale and retire and, and kind of go passive. Okay. So for the listeners out there who don't know about 1031s,
1: it's basically selling a property and rolling the capital gains tax liability forward into the next investment, not not eliminating that capital gain tax, but deferring Defering. it for later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: Okay. So what what is the specific advantage that the DST offers and why would someone want to get into a DST with the 1031 rather than just buying another property or doing something else?
0: Sure. So that is a, again, it's passive instead of active and you have institutional quality investments, institutional quality, everything, insurance, loans, etc. So the the scale and the quality of a lot of these investments are something that most people don't have access to. And even the DST is for accredited investors. We should mention that as well. So you have to have a certain income level and net worth to be able to take advantage of these products. But for those who do, it's investment quality that you really can't get otherwise for most people, I should say.
1: Mm, Okay. And what do you, as far as the, you know, as they fall in the, the realm of real estate investments. You mentioned that they're they're passive investments compared to maybe more active investment, like uh, buying a single family or an apartment complex, where you're going to have some hand in the amount of management. What else do they do? They offer? Are there any drawbacks? What does the liquidity look like? You know, in a, in a general sense, how do you know? Talking specifics here, but how do returns mm-hmm. typically compare to? You know buying an individual property or investing in a syndication
0: let's fill that out a bit sure so you are going to pay a little bit for the passive nature but the range is pretty much just as wide as you would see in a traditional syndication say um you've got you know non-recourse loans so you're not on the hook for the debt you've got all the the typical benefits but you know, the, just like the the GC or the the uh, GP and LP relationship goes, it's going to be pretty similar. I think a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with that relationship. So uh, the structure is going to be very similar that has a lot more rules and stipulations around it. So it's it's blessed by the IRS for those reasons. And um, so there's a lot of rules that it can't break. For example, outside of tenant default or tenant bankruptcy, you can't you know, switch loans or do a lot of like fancy stuff. You can't do any gut rehabs. You know, so a lot of the more true value adds and and the big lists that you would normally try to do to generate bigger returns, you can't really do that. Generally speaking, in a in a DST, it's going to be your class A, really clean buttoned up investments for cash flow and and appreciation, not not so much for forced appreciation. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Do you want direct access to passive commercial real estate investments, including apartments, self-storage, medical facilities, hotels, and even more? CrowdStreet has you covered. They provide access to a wide variety of commercial real estate syndications for accredited investors. Over 520 deals have been closed through the platform, and investors have placed over $2.1 billion, that's billion with a B, in those deals. Go to passivewealthstrategy.com slash crowdstreet to get started, or click the link in the show notes. See the Crowdstreet platform for full terms and conditions of what they offer. Once again, that's passivewealthstrategy.com slash crowdstreet to get started. Now, one of the things um, you know, being a uh, Financial advisor yourself, and in the scope of the broader, you know, financial advisements uh, world, I, I think one of the things to me, you know, as a real estate investor, that concerns me is I don't know what a typical you know, run of the mill financial advisor might have to add, you know, to my investments or you know this it, podcast here where we primarily talk about escaping the Wall Street casino and investing in real estate what they might have to add to the listener and believe me i get those guys reaching out to me all the time asking <laughs> to be on the show can you help us understand like again you know, what are some things to look out for or questions to ask if we're thinking about engaging with a, a financial advisor with the mind that you know we either are real estate investors or we want to be Real estate investors. Mm-hmm.
0: So, for real estate investors specifically, it's an it's a number of different things, and it can play out a couple of different ways. Um, in my capacity, for example, it could just be the liquidity thing. Uh, we can be paid for our advice. We can be paid for managing money. You know, there's a, a few different ways that this can work. So, if it's just liquidity, for example, if you want to keep you know, 30, 40, whatever percentage of your uh, total portfolio in some kind of liquid or quasi liquid investments and, you know, being inflation and all that kind of stuff, you know, you can't just keep it in a bank account, but it, it also can't be in a multifamily or syndication. Cause you know, if you need the money and if it's gotta be there, it's gotta be there. Right. So it depends on what that advisor is actually doing for you. Some, some advisors just get paid for their advice, right? Or they'll just do a plan and it's up to you to follow it. Some questions I would ask is, would be about their experience, right? In addition to what are we actually doing in this relationship? It's, you know, what's your experience and it's really what you want to get out of it, right? You shouldn't pay for more than what you're getting out of the relationship. Uh, Some advisors get paid either flat fee or hourly, so it's really just a consulting thing. Hey, here's my plan. What do you think of it? Some of it is is a little more money management and a more in-depth relationship. But a, a lot of advisors work a lot of different ways and, and the industry is is pretty broad and diverse in that way. So I would ask about actual experience versus just going to college to learn how to be a financial advisor, you know, <laughs> see what they've actually done, what companies they've actually opened, run their own real estate investments. And, you know, you need to be okay with what they bring to the table and the value that you think are going to get out of it. I wouldn't write right off the industry like I know a <laughs> lot of investors do, but um, there is value to be had
1: for sure. I like that question of asking about their experience in particular, you know, there's that age old piece of advice that, you know, don't take business advice from somebody that's not as rich as you or doesn't have more money than you. And, um, yeah there are you know, folks that just go to college to be financial advisors and textbook knowledge is fine but if you've been there and done it that's even better and i don't want i don't want somebody learning on my dime right i want them to have had their lumps and educate me from you know their own experience and their knowledge so are there any other you know questions that somebody should ask if they're considering you know working with financial advisors you mentioned folks that just kind of provide you know advice and some guidance and then you know you go handle it yourself mr. investor um, anything else that uh, we should look for
0: no I would just be real clear again on the relationship and what what you're doing going into it what you hope to get out of it some have specialties like some focus more on taxes or alternatives things of that nature so if you're going into it for that, um, I would just say, yeah, be, and some are very comprehensive, you know, like you, they can cover your insurance and your financial plan, kind of have your back, all, all all, of the above. So yeah, just be very clear um, and anything that comes to mind, anything you think might even be a stupid question, ask ask the question. Nice.
1: So you mentioned a few times uh, liquidity, having liquidity in your portfolio. And I do think that is important for... Uh, real estate investors because our real estate investments are illiquid. Now, in my opinion, the illiquidity of real estate generally is actually an advantage because it it means we can't panic sell. That's the disadvantage of stocks in that you know, we see in say March of 2020 that everything's down 40%, and we think, oh man, it's gonna go even lower. I'm, you know, the world's falling apart. I'm screwed, I'm gonna start selling. Whereas our, our real estate investments that are illiquid you know, didn't really fluctuate in value that much. And over time, on average, they've all gone up considerably since that time. But if we were able to panic sell, then we, would have, we wouldn't have ridden it through, right? Real estate, we have to find a way to ride it through. But at a portfolio level, having some liquidity is definitely relevant, right? Because things can, as real estate investors, maybe our revenue gets disrupted because of a say, eviction moratorium, and we need to be ready to make up for that loss in income, things like that. But can you dive a bit more into liquidity for real estate investors, things that you do or maybe recommend to your clients? And
0: if you have any other reasons as to why it's important, I'd love to hear those as well. Sure. And you're you're exactly right on your assessment. Uh, The reason I love alternatives, including real estate, especially real estate, I should say, is that double-edged sword of the illiquidity, right? It's what makes it more stable. In in my realm, we call it a market correlation, right? Like how okay. how tied is it to the market? Something that's market based, right? Like a mutual fund full of full of stocks or whatever it might be. That when the whole market does something, that mutual fund is going to go with it, right? The thing about it, especially for active uh, real estate investors, you know, passive real estate investors definitely need liquidity for just life. Right. Uh, what happens when your daughter needs braces? Your son wants a car. Your you know college. Whatever. Like, there's various stages in life, and that's part of what I talk through on a daily basis with my clients. But in addition, if you're an active investor or or both, a lot of folks have passive and active. Right. So, if you're an active investor, and you know you get a call from someone on your staff or a property manager, and like, hey, we need to replace. 20 water heaters or or whatever, right? Like stuff happens. Um, you can have a bunch of money in reserves, not beating inflation, or you can have that in conservative investments to where, you know, the money's got to be there when you need it. But at the same time, you you don't want it to just be in some 0.75% savings account either. Right. So that's kind of the dance is any given person's situation what that liquidity looks like will change but I think everyone needs that liquidity again even if it's for your kid's car or a broken arm or if it if you have some large reserve needs and you want to do a little bit more to to beat inflation and stuff so it's going to look different for everyone but everyone has some degree of liquidity needs.
1: Absolutely I totally agree I'm you know, to a small degree, going through that right now myself. Right, we just redid our kitchen, and then I needed new tires on my car, and the yearly car insurance bill came due all at once. And fortunately, I I keep liquidity in my portfolio. But if I was somebody who had every dime I had tied up in illiquid real estate investments, yeah, my real estate's doing great, but I need cash right now to get myself new tires and and all these other things. And there's still more work to be done in the kitchen, so I need. More liquidity here coming up, and I can certainly appreciate that. And and I'm glad that you're looking out. When you mention, you know, relatively conservative um, investments that historically or statistically outperform a 0.75 percent savings account, what comes to mind generally?
0: Oh, that could be uh, that could be any number of things. And what we typically do is have some kind of understanding going into it like so different people's risk profiles will look different you know depending on what what their needs are you know how how immediate they might need that money how much risk they're willing to take there's kind of a number of different ways you can slice that cake so mm, okay and yeah we need to be a little kind of
1: general on this show because we don't any, want anybody out there to <laughs> think that this is financial advice because there, exactly, we never right. give financial advice on this exactly show. Exactly right. Yeah. So I, I certainly uh, appreciate and understand the reasoning be reasoning behind some of the maybe vagueness of that answer, and I hope our <laughs> listeners the listeners understand as well, right? That's, that's not to be dodgy, that's to be compliant. so thank you, know, you let's, Taylor, yeah. let's keep that in mind <laughs> That's always important. Great. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Chris, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education?
0: Yeah, I know, I know why you have to specify that because a lot of us value that education. We kind of walk in these same circles. There's a a developer that called me one day. Um, I had my real estate license for a while at the same time as I was wholesaling and doing a number of other things. So, uh, he called me one day and he said, Hey, Chris, I just bought a whole block. Uh, if you or some of your clients want some single family homes, you know, just let me know. So I knew the neighborhood he was talking about and I called him right back and I was like, Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I want a couple, might take two or three. Um, so those were my best. Um, they were, it was, it was, a. Uh, Slightly dodgy neighborhood, but it was on the the path of development, uh, a very quick development. So I bought each for $175. Um, and the note on each, I think after putting down 20% or whatever, was probably like 900 and something is just another $1,000. Uh, and each of them rented for $2,000 just nice. right off the bat. So uh, those, are, those are my favorite. And those have done really, really well for me over the years. So. You still have them? uh i've sold two of them so yeah but i've got one so nice when did you buy them where are they just out of curiosity uh 2011 kind of north capitol hill h street is what we call it
1: in dc nice so i bet by now you're maybe betting that uh or wishing you would held on to the other two
0: (laughs) yeah we'll we'll probably get into what i did with those in the next question (laughs) gotcha Great. Yeah. Well,
1: we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made?
0: So yeah, the money from one of those wa- went into a uh, restaurant when I retired. And that is by far my worst investment.
1: Mm,
0: yeah. I've, <laughs> I've, I've heard that
1: uh, song and dance before. What happened? Did it you know, go out of business? How long did that
0: take? What, yeah, what? I just plain old closed it. It was a nightmare. Uh, it was open for a year and change, but it was kind of a perfect storm of the lender did me dirty, the construction folks, you know, did all kinds of crazy stuff. I could write a book on that story. Uh, <laughs> um, and even I even had like, because I was consulting law- lawyers and all this stuff, you know, like, Chris, we've never seen a perfect storm like this before. This is crazy. So, yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff. I mean... Obviously, I hated it and lost a lot of money. But there's a lot that I learned that you can't get from any MBA. You know what I mean? I you mentioned like the taking lumps and the lesson you learned earlier. Like (laughs) that's that's my lumps, and and I've got a lot to show for it. And I've got you know clients and and friends and family who benefit from my experience as well. And um, there's a lot of you know stuff they don't teach you in business school, right? It's kind of like I had. I was building my house and the store at the same time. And both contractors within a month breached and both looked me in the eye and like, what are you gonna do about it? You know? So you think as, you know, especially as a real estate guy, we're all about contracts and all this kind of stuff, right? But it's kind of like, well, what can you actually do to enforce said contract? And you know, like there's a whole, there's a whole new realistic, gritty level that comes when you know, having something in writing isn't necessarily good enough anymore. So that next level is kind of what I got exposed to and had to, you know, get, get acclimated to real quick. So yeah. Yeah. If we go to court about this, it's going to be
1: really expensive. You're not going to make your money back anyway. So what are you going to do? Yeah, that's brutal. And, you know, like I said, I've talked with other folks about owning restaurants in the past. And it, it doesn't seem like a good way to make money from from everything that I can tell. I'd rather way rather own own maybe the building that the restaurant is in. We could talk about with a triple net lease from a corporate corporate uh, lessee, then, you know, great. That sounds great. But I'd rather own go. that than the building and the, the restaurant itself. My favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing?
0: It's definitely to go with your gut. Taylor, um, the only things that I can look back on and and would bother me or keep me up at night as regrets would be the times that I knew better and got talked out of it anyway and, and didn't go with my gut and trust myself. So definitely bet on yourself.
1: Nice, I like that, Chris. Thank you for joining us today, bringing us all these lessons. And you know, I you know, it's fantastic that you were able to retire early. I think that's once again it's so a goal so many people have, and I've seen. Time and time again, a lot of people do that, retire very young, and then after a year or two, they're really bored and they go back and do something <laughs> else. So you know, that's a an interesting lesson to learn. It's always great to talk to uh, folks who learn that lesson firsthand. If folks want to reach out, they want to get in touch with you, they want to talk about you know financial advice or DSTs or 1030, 1031 exchanges
0: or anything like that, where can they get in touch with you? Sure. Sure. Um- the com is my uh, company website. Uh, MRCDmills.com uh, is the more real estate-based website. I've got a podcast you can get through there, Skyline Views. I'm relatively active on LinkedIn. Yeah, those are probably the best
1: ways. Great. Well, thank you for joining us once again. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That's very much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. We get to rank a little higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I won't lie, it helps me feel good. I get to see what you guys say and I appreciate it so much. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.